everyone, this is Will, and welcome to this brand new and exciting episode of The Missing Piece. As the whole world continues to pay attention to the war in Ukraine, everyone is questioning what Vladimir Putin is trying to do next. So in other words, when we look at the world today, where international relationships are actually in crisis. But meanwhile, as Americans, not only that we pay attention to what's happening outside the states, it's more essential and also indispensable that we need to understand what is taking place internally. When we look at the political agenda, from abortion rights to immigration debates and also many other critical issues, it seemed to us the word polarization has become more prevalent than ever. Now, the question that we want to draw back to this episode is, what about the Christians? How should the Christians react to the ongoing domestic and the international issues at this moment? So that's why today it's my great honor to invite Dr. Jim Belcher. And Dr. Belcher is the president of the Institute for the New Vital Center. And he previously served as the president of Providence Christian College in California. And also he's the founding and the former lead pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in California. Of course, if you follow Dr. Belcher on the social media, and you know that recently he came out with a brand new book entitled Cold Civil War, Overcoming Polarization, uh, Discovering Unity, and Healing the Nation. Without further ado, Dr. Belcher, welcome to The Missing Piece. Well, it's uh, great to be here. My pleasure. Dr. Belcher, let's get to the question right away. Again, you know, when we're looking at modern political changes, especially taking place in the United States, too often we, we tend to see everything going on has become so political. So in other words, very seldom we bring this aspect of religion, where we ask this aspect of evangelical come into the picture. Now, from your perspective, why should Christians today discuss or even involve ourselves into the political changes, not only in the States, but also outside America? It's a good question. I mean, pragmatically, it's because evangelicals represent, I mean, if you put evangelicals with Catholics and even Jews together, it's a gigantic voting block, you know, maybe as much as 30% of the, the adult population that votes. So it holds a, a big, uh, a lot a lot of influence, a lot of power when when they do vote. So from that perspective, it's, it's really important. But I also think that as a, as a pastor, um, and a political philosopher that we're called to be citizens. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about being salt and light. It talks about being engaged with our neighbors, loving our neighbors, being missional. And it's really, really difficult to do those things if we don't understand what our responsibilities are as citizens um, and our responsibilities in, in our cities and our towns and in our states. And so what I did, it, because I've been thinking about this this stuff for years, is I wanted to give an example of what it would look like in the current climate in the midst of what this cold civil war I'm talking about. But also in, in, in doing that, it kind of give an example of how you do public philosophy, how you lay out a political philosophy for Christians so they can learn to do it themselves. Because if the church doesn't figure this out, it's always going to be following. It's never going to be leading. It's not going to be salt and light. It's not going to have an impact in, in, in our culture and our society. And I think we, we have a responsibility to love our neighbors. And sometimes that means standing between them and the state, or that means working out justice for them, or that means explaining things 
to our neighbors. So we have a huge responsibility. The Christian life isn't just on Sundays uh, or in our private quiet times, but we live our lives in the public and economic and cultural sphere all day long. Mm. Dr. Belcher, again, if we look back, politically speaking, that America has been going through these ups and downs, you know, throughout the centuries. But one thing that we have to understand is for so long that, you know, starting from the founding fathers and until this moment, that we know that this nation was based or was built upon this Christian value. And until 2016, that Donald Trump became the president. And I correct me if I'm wrong, that President Trump has been one of the few very outspoken that leaders in American history that strongly advocate for the Christian value. I mean, look at the progress or look at the, uh, uh, the milestone that he did. Now, Dr. Belcher, my question to you is, do you think that because the presence of Donald Trump, that it serves as a wake-up call for the evangelicals to pay attention to the political agenda, especially regarding how the left are trying to polarizing the society today? Yeah, I mean, if you go back, just I mean, if you go back to the '50s. So I start my book in the '50s. There's a lot of different declension narratives or are narratives of decline i mean you you know the people can say we started declining in the 50, 1850s and 1870s you know you can go all the way through but i start in the 1950s where it appeared that we at least still had a resemblance of a vital center mm. uh, to use arthur schlesinger jr's term um but even then as that was on its dying leg because even then the, the kind of the political left had cut out from the cut the foundation out from underneath our politics by you know kind of eliminating a transcendent norm uh, there still was at least some commonality between the parties but schlesinger writes in his book vital the vital center that it's being attacked by the far right and the far left and he spends most of the book talking about the far left now he happened to be left to center he worked for uh, president john kennedy uh, at different parts of it you know in his career and he he but at the end of the day he kind of dismisses and says yeah the political left is a threat, but you know what? We'll sort it out in the universities and free speech and mm. rationality will, will win the day. But by the 90s, when he's he's much older and he's writing uh, about what's going on in our country, he realizes that the, the left, we call it the woke left, he would call it the deconstruction left, the radical left, by the 90s had completely taken over the universities and a lot of the positions in our government. And he was very, very concerned. But he never gives a mea culpa. He never says, Okay, I should have been more aware of what was going on in the 50s and the 60s, that there was a wholesale attempt to transform the culture, the foundation and the grounding of what America was built on, which was, a, a, you know, they call it natural right. We call it natural law. There's this kind of Judeo-Christian foundation that was underneath the declaration and the, and the, and the constitution. And, but by the nineties, that was being very eroded. So when you had in the eighties, you had some pushback with the Christian right that kind of went away. Um, you know, it kind of got defeated and, 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 and kind of embarrassed at times, <clears throat> excuse me. But it, 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 we then went into this kind of this long period when we thought Bush, when George Bush was in the white house, we thought, okay, that's great. Mm. All our values are going to be protected. And there really wasn't a lot done to push back on the agenda. Obama comes in. And by the time Obama comes in and wins, it, it, it's almost as if at that point, most of the secular 
forces in our country, the left that had by then captured all the major institutions across our country felt like we got it. There's no going back. We're going forward. Our agenda is the way it's going to be. And it was a kind of a godless constitution view. It was postmodern. It was we decide whatever whatever truth that you want to decide is truth. Uh, and then what happened is they, you know, they were about ready to hand the baton to Hillary and Trump wins mm. uh, and shocking, just completely shocking them and throwing off their long trajectory of they, what they thought that this was their democracy. Mm. And all of a sudden this, you know, rough talking kind of uncouth businessman from New York comes in and says, wait, not so fast. This isn't your democracy. This democracy belongs to the people. It's mm. the deplorables. It's the basket of deplorables. It's all these people that you despise. They have a voice. And Trump was obviously much more of a populist. Uh, he is more of a populist on a lot of things. But he started giving a voice to all the people who already realized that they had lost, lost all the cultural institutions mm. to the left. And Trump said, we're going to start fighting. We're going to take it back. And that created this boom. It was like a, an explosion, right, where the left just said, "This no way can this happen. We're going to do whatever it takes to get rid of this man and get back on the forward, what they thought was the forward rational trajectory of their type of kind of progressivism. You know, Dr. Belcher, again, I'm very glad that you mentioned, you know, again, I, I couldn't agree with you more that when Donald Trump appeared in this political stage as what, what they called unconventional leader. So in other words, all the methodology that he brought into this political arena seem unprecedented or unexpected. You know, even some people called his political strategy as uh, uh, magicians. So in other words, we never know what's the next trick that he's going to present. But again, Dr. Uh, Belcher, I want to ask, as a Christian myself, and throughout the uh, years that witness the changes in the country one question has been dancing in my mind again not only just in my mind but the people around me that the question is why are christian uh, christians today becoming the minority so in other words why uh, why is american today trying to undercut the value of this christian philosophy or this christian principles i mean so in other words i mean as you mentioned before Back in the days, we had leaders and we had a, a, a guidance in the government and we had a schools and institutions that protect and defend this value. But today, if we're looking at this political agenda, you know, regarding immigration or abortion, you know, uh, uh, social media, free speech, etc., we can name it. Christian values are being undercut or Christian values are being tossed as what we called attack or being this called uh, you are insulting me so to speak what is happening to this value today yeah i mean you know when when the left started becoming ascendant in the 60s um and all the way up till today i mean the, the one of the things that they just had to get rid of was any kind of grounding in the transcendent right so they wanted a new type of utopia so this is kind of the marxism that comes out of the 60s it's critical race theory mm. it was this attempt to realize that we want something that is very different in the America we see. We don't like the, the original America. We don't like what it means, what it stands for. And at the heart of it is a natural right, a, a, a transcendent view of law, a, a transcendent view of norms and ethics and morality and marriage and all the things that, you know, as Christians, we, we would value. And they said, we just got to get rid of it. 
And so they, they began a, a full frontal attack, really, on all of the norms of, of, the, of the society and the culture. And one of the great things that was standing in their way was, was Christianity, because it does hold to a higher standard and, and a law that comes from outside of us. And they just simply had to get rid of it. And so there has been this, this massive attack on Christianity, but, but not just the faith per se or the doctrines, but on families, on gender, on anything that, that, that Christians stand for, you know, the, 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 the towns, the places we raise our children, on schools, on the media, it, it doesn't matter. They were, they were going to go after and begin to systematically take it over and transform it. And so in one level, they very much isolated Christians completely out of, out of the positions of power and out of the, out of the kind of the authoritarian positions where we can influence culture. And, but that's, but that's not the only part of the picture. The other part is that Christians kind of gladly did that. I think there was there was a lot of times where Christians think politics is off limits, that we shouldn't be involved in this. We need to stick to our church. Uh, we need to just do evangelism. And so there was very, very little effort to begin to think about public philosophy from a Christian perspective. So our leaders are not equipped. I mean, I talk to Christian pastors a couple times a week, and they have no experience in politics. They mm. they have no understanding of political philosophy. They've spent all of their time studying, you know, what the church they're supposed to do as pastors, but also theology. And that's great. They need to do that. But at the same time, part of discipleship is equipping your congregation to think Christianly about politics, economic, and economics and culture. And the church just has not done that. Uh, there, I don't think there's been a, a major work of public philosophy uh, for evangelicals in 50, 40 to 50 years. Um, and I'm not saying mine's a, a major work necessarily, but I was at least, I'm at least attempting to try and fill that gap and help Christians think about what a full orb public philosophy would be and how to understand politics. So that's what I do in the book is I, I not only explain exactly how we lost the vital center and why we're in this polarized position. But I also really lay out all the positions and from a political philosopher's standpoint and a Christian standpoint of why this, where they fit on this, this quadrant that I've come up with and why they're all leading to polarization. And then in the third part of the book, as you know, I lay out what a new vital center would look like. Uh, one that, that has, has a grounding underneath it of natural law, natural right based in divine revelation. Um, I, I lay that out and I look at the genius of the founders and how it would relate to today. And then I have a whole chapter on how this new vital center would help us reinterpret or re-understand the problems of immigration that are going on at the border because it's a complete chaos and a, and a, and a huge disaster what's going on at our border. I have a chapter on Christianity. What's the proper role of Christianity and what role that plays? Um, and then I talk in the last chapter about what what is the vision for the church, how the church can be heroic in this time. Uh, you know, well, I'll tell you, the, one of the most disappointing things was to see how the church just caved in under the COVID mm. mandates and, and did not push back at all and just said, well, if that's what if that's what our public health wants, then we're just going to shut down our churches. Uh, and we went my family went a year and a half without out in California without having an opportunity to be in public worship or, or celebrate the Lord's mm. Supper. And we, we, we had to do it ourselves or online or we we drove an hour away to another church, one of the few churches that was over. And it was just a wholesale capitulation of the church to the to the reigning culture and the church that we went to 
which went from 400 people to 2,000 people over the course of the two years mm. uh, because they were courageous and they stood against the tide. They're getting fined thousands of dollars every week for keeping the doors open. But they never. Everybody said this is a this is a this is a super spreader event. It's gonna it's gonna you know increase the the COVID cases. They had almost no COVID cases mm. because they did something very very. They didn't even wear masks. And they did what they did was very simple. They invested in a proper ventilation system with the newest technology for airflow and killing off germs as it came back through the HEPA filters. And we people were sitting without masks, hundreds of people in services, shoulder to shoulder, and there were almost no new cases of COVID. Mm. You know, and but he was alone in doing that. Nobody else right. did that. Everybody else, and, and to me, it was just one of the most discouraging, disappointing things to see how little the church leads in times of crisis. And my conviction is, is because they don't know how. Mm. They do not have the tools to do that and to think about what is going on. And so they very easily just accept whatever the elites, whatever the ruler said. I, I, I know one particular evangelical just said when it came to uh, the CDC and the the NIH leaders and, and all the other people who were handling the pandemic said, I just trust my leaders. Mm. I trust my leaders. And I'm like, my goodness. I mean, for a Christian to say that, I mean, fine that we, we can, we'll trust them after we verify that they're telling us they're true. But if you believe in original sin, you know, you believe in the depravity of the human heart to think that leaders wouldn't lie to us is crazy. Mm. It's just absolutely crazy. And of course, we know they did lie where all the stuff is coming out from the Pfizer vaccines and the truth on mass. And that we're going to find out in the years to come that, we, that so, so many, so much of this was falsified information and we were being lied to. That's right, Dr. Belcher. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I know that you are very passionate about the issue at the border, and I do want to discuss that with you at this moment. I completely agree with you. Right now, we always say, while the world focusing on, uh, focusing on international security, but I think it's more essential that we need to pay attention to our own national security, especially at the borders. I mean, again, if we follow the news that the, according to the liberal agenda, that millions and millions of illegal immigrants flood into our country, but according to the left agenda, that we have this open door policy and based on what we called a humanitarian heart or based on what we called this uh, people to people exchange. And I mean, again, you can beautify the language and you can beautify the project however you want. But internally, that America is not the country that based on because that we love them and therefore that we shall receive them. I mean, again, this is not the day and age that open door policy open, uh, works for every single country. Now, again, Dr. Belcher, from your perspective, can you help me and my viewers to understand what is happening at the border and why this such of the crisis at the border are being constantly ignored and even being overlooked by this political agenda? And most importantly, as Christian, how can we understand this issue not only as a decent human being a christian but also have this justified view to tackle this topic yeah you're, you're absolutely right i mean in just recently with the 40 billion that was going is going to the ukraine we keep funding sending money to the ukraine which we do not have which is just being printed off of money printers 
uh, increasing our own debt and deficit, and yet the, our leaders refuse to take care of our own people. We've got people who are suffering through this this economic downturn, and that we're sending absolutely billions of dollars somewhere else, and it's just money we don't have. Mm. But regarding the border, what's interesting, what I discovered about the border, right, is that uh, is you know there's there's you know historically it's the it's been the the pro business Republicans who have wanted a much more relaxed immigration policy, right? So they've they've wanted more workers. They want they don't doesn't matter if they're unskilled because they want them to do jobs that they think Americans don't want to do. And so for years, all the way back into the fifties, you know we they the business class has been the one that has wanted uh, workers for their factories, right? So. And, 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 and it was always the Democrats that were against that. The Democrats were the working class party. They wanted wages to rise amongst working class. And so they didn't want a lot of illegals coming in, stealing jobs from the working class. So they were against that. But some, at some point in the 2000s, that began to shift. And the Democrats, I think, started to realize that the more immigrants that they could, migrants that they could bring in, particularly if they could turn them off to America, teach them to hate America, mm. but also claim their claim their welfare benefits. And they would teach them right at the border. You know, the government, America's bad, but here's what you get. Here's where you get your money. They they believe that they could increase the the, the the vote for Democrats. And so they were very much in favor of that. And, you know, I live in California and that's been the policy for the last 20, 30 years. And they have they've succeeded in that. They've completely transformed the demographics of California. It used to be a Republican state or at least a two party state mm. where they were contested. Now it's a one party state uh, because of so many illegal immigrants in and most, and then when the Republicans realize it's not a two-party state, they've all a lot of them have left. So now we're it, Republicans get out. I'm an independent, but Republicans are outvoted two to one. So, but what I've discovered in my research, Will, and this is interesting, is that it's those two things are still there. Uh, the business class Republicans want jobs, uh, want cheap labor, and the Democrats want votes. Mm. But what's happened in the last few years, and this has become much more radicalized in the Biden administration is there is now an ideology behind what's going on, and it's called open borders or an mm. attempt to completely destroy the border of the United States. Now, ironically, because they're sending money to the Ukraine to protect the border against the Russian invasion, but on our border, they're doing everything they can to leave it as porous as possible. Now, they may say the border is secure, but what they mean by that is it's secure but they're working diligently to, to, to override any rules that are on the books or any rules mm, that Trump exactly. put in place That's in, right. or, in, in order to manage the flow. So they are managing the flow of illegals into our country. Um, and so their goal is when they say we want to we, we want an orderly border, they just mean we need to manage the flow of these illegals because in their mind, they're not illegals. They're, they're citizens to be. That's what they say. And they all believe they have a right to be here. So somebody comes across the border because Biden invited them. They come across the border. They generally want to be caught because they're caught, they're processed, put in the system, and then they're put on buses and shipped into the interior of the country. And they're told to report when they when they're supposed to report for their court date. That could be six to eight years later. Mm. But even when they get that court order and they go through the process, particularly if they're, they're trying to be refugees and if the court goes against them and there's now something like one point five million people who have had their time in court and they're supposed to be deported, 
The present administration does not deport them. And then if you think that all of those people through chain migration will eventually invite their, be able to bring in their families. That's right. You're talking about a shift so dramatic that in the next 20 years, America won't look the same mm. and it won't have the same culture. Um, and that's, that's what, well, that's why someone like Donald Trump has become popular because even with Latinos on the real grand border between Texas and California that, that are these are Latinos that are legal that have their green cards and are citizens they're like what are you doing you're destroying our communities uh, right. and and not to mention the crime the drugs the sex trafficking that's taking place and Christians like to say well we're being human if Jesus would have invited all of these people in but wait a second here what about the people who are already here what about the people who live in these communities affected by the crime what about the people who are being trafficked what about the drugs that are coming over? And what about the countries left behind where all these people are fleeing from? If we're taking all the young people and all the hard workers out of a place like El Salvador, how is that loving to El Salvador? Hmm. We need to improve the life of El Salvador. I've heard missionaries complain and say, what are you doing? We've been sent to El Salvador to bring the gospel and economic renewal. And you're inviting all the people to go live in poverty or on welfare in the U.S., when we're trying to build a better life from here, you're not helping. So I'll stop there And if you have any questions. No, I mean, again, Dr. Belcher, it's so surprising and astonishing to hear not just the numbers, but the fact that, again, you know, we always say for so long that since the day that I studied American history or the day I was educated, you know, on this uh, American principle that equality, it's essential in this country. But we can't, I always say, but as again, as the uh, younger generation, it's time to wake up to understand you can't keep on yelling the word equality and you can't use the word freedom without understanding the, the fact and the truthful side behind it. So that's why, again, Dr. Belcher, I want to talk about your interesting book. Again, it's called The Cold Civil War, Overcoming Polarization and Discovering Unity. Now, let's start with the title, Dr. Belcher. What does that mean when you call it the Cold Civil War? And I think it's so striking and interesting to, 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 to name your book this title. What message are you trying to send to the readers just by looking at the title? Sure. I mean, I think most people know we're in some kind of a war. It's a cultural war. It's, there's a division in our country. Mm. I mean, you see that as soon as this mem or the, 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 the Supreme Court memo is leaked or the, 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 the report is leaked, um, from elite Justice Alito, um, all of a sudden people are, are, are outside of the justices' houses. And That's we, right. can, we can sense that there is a battle going on, right? And between two different visions. And so there's there's no doubt that they, we, there are two different ideas of what the country is, or more than two, but at least two two major sides and, and two different understandings of our constitution, two different understandings of our past, and they're clashing. Now, the cold part is that up until now, it's not a hot civil war. So it's not like the civil war that we had in the 19th century where the mm. armies are facing off one another. Thankfully, it's not that. Um, and I'm praying it never gets into a hot civil war. But it absolutely is a cultural, economic and political civil war going on in our country. Um, and there's two sides pitted against each other. But it's not a citric. A, 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 it, it's not a balanced civil war with two sides that are equal, because as I said in the beginning, that there 
the, the left has captured all the major cultural institutions. And I would say, and I say this in the book, they've also captured most of the economic institutions and most of the political institutions as well. Mm. Now, unfortunately, many on the right that used to be a, 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 an opposition party have often joined them into what's now become a uniparty. And so when you, when there's a vote on sending money to Ukraine, almost every Republican goes along. When it comes to protecting high tech, the Republicans are just as in bed with high tech as anybody is, when, uh, as the other party. When it comes to shipping our jobs to China and not protecting the middle of our country, Republicans ship jobs just as much as anyone else mm. off to China. Right. When it comes to the borders, Republicans are no more defenders of our border than the Democrats are. So you have this kind of uniparty going on, but then you have all of the, you know, most of the Christians, the, the populist people in the Midwest, the people that aren't on the two coasts, uh, and then there's some on the coast too, that just say, what have you done to our country? We don't recognize this. Uh, and that's more than anything what Trump spoke to. He may not have been perfectly consistent in, in, in fixing the problems, right? And I mean, I, I have some struggles with him on his budget and how much money he spent and locking down the country. And I mean, luckily he, he corrected that and not firing Fauci earlier. You know, there's, there's stuff to be critical, but overall he seems to recognize that there's a whole part of the country, probably 60% of the country that does not like the direction that our oligarchs mm. in both parties are taking this country. And for better or worse, Trump is the only powerful spokesperson. Maybe add Elon Musk to that now. I don't know. We'll see what, what happens with his fight with Twitter. That's right. But, it's, it's they, but they have somebody who is at least speaking their language, not always consistently, uh, but, it, but he's it. He's really, really it. Now, there's some governors that are popped up, like Governor DeSantis, um, and there's others that are that are there. But but by and large, it feels like the oligarchs or what I call the the ruling elites, the uniparty are controlling everything and destroying the life that that, that people have known in this country for, for generations. Mm. Dr. Belcher, I know you're very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, regarding again, going back to your book. We know that the, today the country is being driven apart by many political agendas. You know, on, on one side, we can say the liberals, they're opening up the border and they're welcoming these illegal immigrants and they're uh, having this liberal agenda, giving too much freedom, especially to the people who have no idea how to understand and preserve the value of freedom. But on the other hand, the Republicans, they need to put their games together. Remember this year, it's a crucial year, not only for the midterm election, but also can be an indicator for what's going to happen in 2024. And again, President Trump still hesitating whether uh, there's a run or there's not a run. But Dr. Belcher, my next question to you is today, again, based on your book, how should we understand the word freedom today? Uh, because we know that, again, since the day that I was taught and I was educated, that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are the founding principle that, you know, shall be preserved or protected and honored in whatsoever. So, in, again, in short, summary, I mean, uh, excuse me, freedom, it's something that we can only dis been discovered and found and protected in this country. But according to your book, yeah, or according to your yeah. philosophy, 
what is happening to our freedom today and how should we re-understand the word of freedom? Yeah. So one of the, the syllogisms of the founders would often say is that the republic, which is what they, you know, they were founding, and they weren't founding a, a democracy. They were founding a representative republic. They said the republic needs liberty. Mm. And so remember, they're, they're, they're fighting uh, the king of England who was taking away their rights. And so the, the Declaration of Penance is a long list of grievances against the king. So they very much wanted liberty. They wanted self-determination. They wanted rule of the people. They wanted to represent themselves, right? Um, okay, so they were very much uh, cognizant that liberty had to be at the basis of it, but they didn't stop there. So it's not a libertarian freedom, right? Where people can choose their own values, their own grounding, their own God. So liberty, need, uh, the Republic needs liberty but liberty needs virtue. Mm. It, it was dependent. Liberty was very much dependent on the character of the people, a kind of people who had virtue, both in the business realm in the family realm and the political realm, so that they could trust one another with this liberty. But they don't stop there. After liberty, they are after virtue. They say virtue needs religion mm. because virtue that isn't undergirded with a transcendence is just some sort of a do-goodism. It it's not robust enough. So going back to the beginning, they would say, the Republic needs liberty, liberty needs virtue, and virtue needs Christianity. It has to be undergirded with a grounding that is strong enough to support the old thing. But back up that syllogism, or reverse the syllogism, I should say. If without religion, there's no virtue. Without virtue, there's no liberty. And without liberty, you do not have a republic. You have a collective oligarchy. You have oligarchs ruling over the serfs uh, and almost a kind of neo-feudal kind of a setup. And that's what we have. And if you look at California, for instance, it used to be the very heart of the American dream where it was it, it embodied that whole syllogism that I just referenced. Now what you have is the largest separation between the rich and the poor. Mm. You have the poor completely dependent on the rich to even survive, and are, they're barely doing that. And they have no voice. Uh, they, have, they have no control over the direction of where their culture, where their politics, where their economics is going. And it's extremely unstable. I mean, at some point, they're going to rise up with the pitchforks and go storm the castle if we don't be, return to a constitutional republic where the people, where the, the middle classes and the lower class and the working classes have a legitimate vote and a legitimate stake in this country. But the ruling elites, the oligarchs, the plutocrats, they just they want to get rich at everyone else's expense. And then they just want to give bread and circuits to everyone. You know, they want to give us the cell phone, keep us distracted, give us the living wage and then tell us to go shut up and, and, and go sit quietly in our apartments that we no longer even own. Um, and it's just not going to you know, there's there's too many people who are going to resist this. Um, and that's the danger is if they don't learn to begin to share power again and return it to the middle of the country and return it in a constitutional Republican way to people, uh, I'm, I'm very, very scared about the future. Mm. Dr. Pelcher, I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to our last question again. We know America, it's well, I mean, has been famous for this capitalistic system. You know, again, when we talk about economy. We look at China, it's running the country under communism, and then we look at other countries running the system as socialism. 
But America today is still being the example of capitalistic system. And again, we're not saying this system is perfect. I and mean, there are loopholes and there are weaknesses. But granted, more countries today are still uh, uh, um, hoping that America can lend a hand or can give them something so they can get rid of the dictators and so they can get rid of this, uh, um, you know, internal corruptions. So, Dr. Belcher, the last question to you is, for the long run, how should we keep on preserve this capitalistic economic system in order to continue to be the good example for the rest of the world? Right. Well, capitalism really, since the very beginning, was built on the Constitution. So the Constitution protected property rights, right? It protected freedom of speech, freedom of movement. Um, it really was the safeguard for for capitalism. And the more the Constitution gets overrun, the more the oligarchs control the government, the more they they rent seek and uh, in participate in crony capitalism and they rig the system the more they're hurting capitalism from within. But you're right. I mean, the capitalism is the only system that can raise people out of poverty mm. and give them a better life. And that's what it's done here. And as I said, that's what it did in California for generations. California was the place of the American dream. Now it's the place of the American nightmare. Mm. And that's why there's so many tens of thousands of homeless people living on the street because that all the jo all the jobs, all the small businesses have been undercut. So the first thing we have to do is we've got to get back to protecting small businesses, entrepreneurship, uh, take the take the the, the 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 system that's rigged by the oligarchs, take it away from them, and return it to its roots. And it's out of that that we can then speak to the, all the places in the country that are controlled by their own oligarchs and their own dictators and their own people who rig the system away from the middle class and the lower class. But why I'm hopeful about America is because we have something to return to. We can return to the Constitution. We can return to the Declaration. We have a Judeo-Christian grounding mm. that we can return to that gives me tremendous hope that we can rest the control, the power back and give it back to the people. This was the same battle that Lincoln was fought fighting during the Civil War. The Southern oligarchs, who were the slave owners, were not just slave owners, they were running oligarchical capitalism, collective capitalism off of their plantations. And Lincoln said no. And the whole battle of Reconstruction after the Civil War was to return constitutional democracy, as it says in our Constitution, Every person has a right to live in a state that is a constitutional mm -hmm. democracy. They were they fought to return it to the states. Um, and that's really the battle today is to return our country to constitutional democracy. And as we do that, we 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 become the beacon of hope for all the people who live under oppressive regimes. Mm -hmm. And that's why, even though it's not as good as it could be over here, that is still why. The vast majority of the immigrants around the world want to come here. I mean, my goodness, we've got immigrants showing up at our border, migrants showing up at our border from the Ukraine because they know this is their one chance to get in here. And some That's of right. 2,000 a day are showing up. Why are they showing up? Because as much as we've got problems and as much as we have a cold civil war going here, they still recognize America as a unique proposition, a special place built on a creed and a culture that sustains a democratic republic, and no one else has that. No one else has that. Um, and until that is completely extinguished, we have to fight for it.
That's right. And again, Dr. Belcher, I couldn't agree with you more. Regardless how this political atmosphere is going to change, that America still is the hope for the hopeless and for the voice of the voiceless. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking to Dr. Jim Belcher, and Dr. Belcher is the president of the Institute for the New Vital Center. And again, he's the author of the new book, Cold Civil War, Overcoming Polarization, Discovering Unity, and Healing the Nation. I strongly encourage everyone to get on Amazon or go to the uh, bookstore again in person to grab a copy of the book. I'm sure you will also be enlightened by the content within the book. Again, Dr. Belcher, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you so much for sharing your insight with us. And we will love to have you back on the show as we continue to watch and follow this political changes 